Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad you could join me. Fascinating podcast in store for you today. I am so glad you could join me. Our first podcast of the new year. By the way, Happy New Year to you. Hope you're living up to your resolutions. We'll talk about that in detail later on in the show. We'll also get uh, what I've come to believe might be the most brilliant way to teach steadiness to your dog. That's all from our remote broadcast at the Club Epignol Breton National Conclave a few weeks back. So uh, joining me to explain what I'm talking about uh, when he teaches me is Jake Bartels. He's a a versatile hunting dog trainer from Pennsylvania, uh, five versatile champions to his credit in the NAVDA system, also competing at the uh, Club Epignol Breton Conclave. Beautiful dogs, beautiful scenery. We'll talk more about that as we get into it. So stick around for some, well, almost all training-oriented podcasts here at the Upland Nation. Plus, your New Year's resolutions. Whether you keep them or not is your own business, but we're going to talk about what you have as your goals for 2024. So stay tuned. We're made possible in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina, Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, LandTrust.com, and High Viz Shooting Systems. Happy New Year! Well, uh, under the tree this year was a big, heavy box. It was from Midway USA, as usual. Thank you, Larry and Adam and everybody over there. Uh, a new clay target thrower. You know how obsessed I am with trying to <laughs> trying to move my shooting skills up to mediocre, if nothing else. Got a great new champion uh, automatic clay target thrower. I uh, also specified the um, that the um, the timer so that you could press the button, put the button in your pocket, and then wait for the targets to fly. It has been. An incredible experience. Number one, I've put the thing together and it works. Number two, um, that uh, I can work on those low going away shots, you know, classic valley quail shots. And so far, so good. I'll keep you posted. Now I got to find a supplier for clay targets. You, though, in a recent podcast, I talked about uh, um, uh, mid season training while you're hunting. Um, and uh, enjoyed all the feedback on that. And then thought on social media, I should ask you about what you're going to be doing next year in that world, next year, this year, later in the season, or if your season is over, maybe you're working on it now. So maybe these are some things you too could work on, or maybe you can get some advice or motivation. Hugh Snyder says he's working on woe, honoring, and backing, all the steadiness stuff. Hugh, I hope you're listening today because we're going to get some great advice on that from Jake Bartels. Robert Murphy, start training their new pup, natural pointer and retriever. Woohoo! Man, where do I sign up for one of those? Uh, more training at the Pheasant Farm for Al Gillum. Can train all winter? Yes, we can. Uh, Court Green, keep up the good recovery. Uh, You will build back and then start your training program. Good luck. Uh, 
Kurt Deary. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I asked a question, you were still hunting uh, uh, late-season pheasants on public land and at the club. New puppy coming in the spring. You know, we should do a puppy. Uh, well, I did that puppy gear thing. Let's do a puppy podcast sometime new. Gary Schmidt, congratulations. You got a new Brock. You got to be a little more specific. Brock de Verne? Brock de Bourbonnet? Or... One of those others that are even harder to permanent pronounce. And uh, good, it seems like a lot of people are getting puppies. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that soon. Jerry Steeman got a new German short-haired pointer. So um, good luck on all of those. Lynn Glock, I'm going to be doing a video on this healing situation and what I've learned the hard way. So watch for that very soon. Uh, everybody might benefit from that. And Andy McCormick, uh, my whistle, uh, oh, in that photo, yeah. yeah, well, we were in the yard. It was just a setup shot for the book, so <laughs> don't worry. I'm never without my whistle when I am uh, uh, in the field because I cannot yell loud enough. Can you? <laughs> oh, my. We'll have more from you uh, in in uh, the second half of the podcast. And uh, so stick around for your New Year's resolutions. In the meanwhile, the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by LandTrust.com. Now, I told you about my recent experience. I'm booking another trip right now. And again, it, okay, here's the best analogy I've come to since I'm doing a lot of flying these days. Uh, maybe you use Expedia.com as well. LandTrust.com is like Expedia for hunting ground. You want one day, two days, five days, just go on the site, find your spot, book it right there online, a few clicks and you're there. It's all yours. You and your dog have a optimal hunting experience exclusively while you are there. Learn more about how it works. Open your free account at LandTrust.com. And I've been, as I said, working on my shooting. And one of the things I'm figuring out is that, yes, you do need to know where your muzzle is in relation to the target. You don't need to focus on it, but you need to know. And that's what high-vis sights have helped me with. It's all subliminal, but knowing where the muzzle is in relation to the target is critical. And I have put some of those light pipe technology easy to install magnetic sights on some of my guns, and it is working very well. Some you want to pull off the bead with a screwdriver and put another one on with a screwdriver. They got them. They got plain barrel sights. You know, there's a reason that Ruger, Benelli, Browning, and Remington all use high-vis sights as original equipment. Learn more at highvissights.com. Well, one of the fun things about a gathering like this at the Club Epignol Breton is uh, the coincidences that you run into. And, and that's one of the things that, that we're going to start with today. I'm with Jake Bartels. Jake is running dogs, among other things, and so is your daughter. That's correct. Uh, but let's start with the, the basics. Tell me a little bit about your dogs. 
Certainly. So, um, uh, interestingly enough, my, my wife got me into bird dogs um, about 20 years ago when I met her in high school. She had a, a German short hair. And that was my, my first time I'd ever been out with a dog um, hunting birds. And uh, it, it was surprising because now 20 years later when I see what we, we try and put into dogs to get them to point and hold their point and do these things, I remember being out with her and her family. And, and after that short hair would point nice and intensely, they were convinced that dog should go in and flush the bird. And they would get, they would get so upset when they were tapping the dog and saying, hunt him up, fetch it up, go get it, that that dog would just stand there staunch as a rock. So, so, but that was my, my first introduction to bird dogs. Um, after, after my wife and I got out of college, it was time to get another dog. And, and we, we kind of did some research and settled upon the Epping Gilberton. And uh, now, we're, now we're at home with, I think, six of them. Six French Spaniels, by the way, uh, for some of you. But you, you've heard on the podcast before about the club and the gatherings and uh, in particular this one. Why don't you explain, Jake, what what we're doing here and, and, and what the importance of this activity is. Certainly. So this is our, our national conclave. So we try and uh, get as many people from around the country to bring uh, the French Brittany or the Epping Gilberton together. Um, it allows us to evaluate kind of side by side throughout the country of, of how our breeding program is. Are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? Are we stagnant? Um, and to help with that evaluation, we bring judges from um, overseas so uh, I think this year we have one from Denmark and one from France um, and we bring them in both to evaluate the confirmation of our breed and and the uh, the performance um, the how they're how they're working and, and you know just as as, a, as an aside walking the field with our Danish judge yesterday most of the day what 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 was intriguing to me was how uh, he he was evaluating confirmation, if you want to call it that, throughout the field work as well. I, I got a, a, a lesson 10 times over on how to see a dog move and what that says about their confirmation. So that's, uh, frankly, a little different than most of the other tests and trials I've been to, and I, I enjoyed learning all of that. But there's also a, what we would call a, a bench show in conjunction with the conclave that does all of that stuff in a ring, for example. So we got both sides, same dogs. There is no difference between a, quote, show Epignol Breton and a field Epignol Breton. I'm yep. just going to start saying <laughs> you've been doing French very good. Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and that, that's one of the most important things, and I think all breeds try to do it, and and it's hard because um, you get people that are just more interested in one aspect or the other. Uh, we, as the parent club, have have tried very hard to keep that the same, and I think you actually saw that this weekend, where we had, I think, our uh, best of female and our best of male and I think even our best of winners um, in the show uh, also were place placed dogs in in the field trial this weekend and and that's that's what we're striving for I mean confirmation is putting form to function and if 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 we get away with um, 
starting to just look at function, we're going to end up with dogs that can't hunt all day or don't have longevity. Um, and all them, they might be great bird finders. Um, you know, we start to we start to change the shape of the breed, and so it's important to us that we stay true to what they were bred to be, um, and also accurately be evaluating their their performance, and that we have the mental stability and the capability of taking the training and and then going out there and and working birds. You know, that's got to be fascinating for for a guy who who hunts a lot as well, because then then you can appreciate. Ah, that's why the head should be this way, or that's why the gate should be this way. Do you actually see practical applications when you're bird hunting? So I, I certainly do. I mean, th- this dog was developed mostly to hunt woodcock on, on the coastal uh, shores of, of France. And and when you get these dogs into the thick, tangly grouse woods or woodcock cover, um, they're cobby shaped, they're, they're shorter stride than what you see traditionally in most breeds, allows them to take those quick steps up and over logs around things. Um, it, it's often funny, I have, I have friends with all different breeds and, and the speed in which my dogs can make it through some of that cover, and I'm not going to say more efficiently, but the speed in which they can make it through some of that cover, certainly not without less vet trips, <laughs> um, it is astounding how they, they're, you know, that short stride and that confirmation is put to functional use in, in those those covered covered habitats. I saw it yesterday. Uh, while most of the fields we're using are fields, there are edges that are full of that, and they're even brush piley kind of places. And I did notice that they do move. Uh, I'll ca- I'll say more efficiently. They are they are more. Yeah, efficiently is a good good enough description of it. They are they just they are a little bit more agile, maybe a little bit more facile dealing with uh, obstacles. Yeah, it makes them their their shape makes them a very functionally durable dog. We see very few like hind limb, fore limb injuries in the breed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 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 not a super injury prone because um, they're just a compact. We use the term cobby, which means their height should match their length. Okay, um, and that that cobby build in a, in a dog just makes for a durable dog. Well, uh, speaking of dis- uh, descriptions of their appearance, um, everybody says, well, a Brittany is a Brittany. And we, we know, and for a fact, there are two, and maybe more for all we know. But in, in the United States, there is a club for American Brittany's, if, if I can call them that, and French Brittany's. And, uh, and the difference is physical as well as practical. Or, 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 but, so can you describe the physical differentiations? Sure. Um, and I'm probably not the most classified person to, to say this. We are, our conformators would probably give some better descriptions, but I can certainly go over some of the basics. Yeah. So um, one of the things is one of the main things is coloration. Um, we allow uh, black in the coat. Um, so a, as a matter of fact, it's pretty much a requirement. So they're going to have black noses, black eyelids, black lips, and, and often black pads, um, even on an orange and white dog, uh, yeah. which would be an eliminating fault in the American Brittany side. Um, equally, the pink nose or pink lips would be an eliminating fault in on our side of it. Um, their build is generally a little bit cobbier. They're, uh, they have a lower height requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, the head structure is, and expression in their face, their eye set, their ears is all just a little bit different. And, and I would, if, if you see a Brittany-type dog that has uh, 
the muzzle and forehead shape that I, I can't describe, you can. That's one clear indication of the difference between the two types of Britneys. Yeah. How would you describe that the face part of that? They call it a little bit more of an abrupt stop or an yeah. aggressive snout. Um, and and that, it's one of those things where I often say, it's, sometimes it can be hard in words to put what the differences are. Right? You got to see it to but believe it. In in two minutes, I can have you recognizing the difference and throw pictures that are not even colored. I could throw black and white pictures out, and by the shape of that dog, you'd be able to tell which one it was. Yeah. Which um, I often get the question when we talk about are they a different breed. I get the question, well. Where show me the genetic markers that make them different, and my answer to that always is our appearance is a product of our genetics. So, if they look different, they are different. They are genetically different if they look different. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're here to watch uh, Epignol Breton's work and evaluate that work and and confirmation, but you're also involved in another organization that I'm closely involved with, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. So these dogs can also run in those hunt tests, correct? That's correct. I mean, I've since I got started with my, I, I was a member of NAVDA before I was a member of the CEB. Um, I've run several, several all the way through the highest levels of NAVDA. Um, they're certainly a versatile dog um, and capable of it. Um, and it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a great evaluation. There's a, there's a huge difference between what we're doing here, um, under the UKC premise and, and what we do in NAVDA. So here, this is a competition. We are dog versus dog. And, and that creates some great value because you see where you stand within the breed. Um, on that it, day. On that day, exactly, <laughs> exactly, on that day. Um, what it doesn't do necessarily is give you quantifiable data about your dog. Mm -hmm. And that has been one of the beautiful things about NAVDA is if you want to see a trend in a litter and you pull up all those NA scores from a litter of puppies, um, and I'm a judge in NAVDA, so I get to see this, and it's often that we'll go to a test and we'll see three or four out of the same litter, and they have three or four different handlers, and they've been in three or four different hands for almost a year and it's amazing the things that are truly genetic that you see show up in each of those in each of those four puppies and and when you take that data and bring it back to your breeding program um, it's a it's a great way of being able to advance a breed and you know that's that's really what it gets down to no matter what we're talking about whoever's group it is that we're trying to create better dogs right correct yeah not easy and keep with it while keeping within the standard which is what makes it <laughs> that's what makes it a better Difficult, dog right <laughs> <laughs> now uh, i think you're just being modest not only have you uh been a test judge with navda you've tested yourself and your dogs several times right Correct. So I, I've I've run through all levels. I have um, I've handled five versatile champions Whoa. at the at the Invitational. Um, four of them have been Epping Gilbertons and and one to tremendous short hair out of Sharpshooter Kennels. So I uh, got the opportunity to do that. That was like being handed the keys of, to a Ferrari, and I just got to be the driver. So wow, <laughs> I, I appreciated that opportunity. But um, 
Yeah, no, I've been heavily involved with NAVDA. I speak very highly of uh, of, of NAVDA, and, and it's a it's a great program. I'm, I've been trying to work with them to get the Epping Gilberton recognized as a separate breed because one of the struggles we really have is to be able to use NAVDA's data um, and the data that they collect to help better our breed. We have to be able, that has to be searchable data, and right? And so I know you, you have wire hairs. Well, you can go in and start searching through the wire hair database and look for dogs and, and research their test scores and that. The only way I can find another EB is by, I have to know their name first, right? Of course, because so, they're re- in that registry, right, they're, they're just called Brittany. They have yeah. been grouped all, all yeah. together, correct. Um, and by the way, uh, if you... If you th- if you don't know what the NAVDA Invitational Test is all about and how hard it is to become an Invitational Champion, go to the YouTube channel, go to any of the streaming services my show is on, and, and it's there. It's In fact, it's the most popular is it really? episode awesome. of all time for Wing Shooting USA. It is a tour de force for a, a versatile hunting dog. And to, to have a guy across the table from me who's done that five times, I mean, just being invited to the invitation, <laughs> just be qualifying for it is incredible. To, it absolutely is. It's an accomplishment. To have a champion five times is is. I that doubt was, it's a record because we're talking about no, sharpshooter no, no, kennels. Yeah. Well, I think he's I think he's a oh, well over thirty, um, wow. and he has he has set the bar extremely high. Uh, and of course, that's we're talking about Clyde Vetter um, with sharpshooter kennels, and and he has been a huge he has been part of the reason I've been able to be successful. He's been a huge influence in how I train. Um, he has. He has helped break the barrier for me of thinking of our dogs as a different dog, right? Yeah, so yeah. you often hear that French Britneys are soft or they're, they're shy and you, you have to go about training them in a different way. And, and he was one of the certainly reinforced in my mind that that's not true. Yeah. Um, and that we're actually, we're, we're coddling that thought and it's, it's hindering our ability to move forward with the dogs rather than, rather than propelling us forward. This is not a show about me. Um, but I, I can use a music analogy there. When I was a professional tuba player, there are such things. (laughs) Um, I would take lessons from cello teachers trumpet teachers ever anybody who was good right that understood that i wanted to be as good as those guys and you're describing the same thing with with a, a lesser known breed uh a hundred percent um and and that's what's inspiring is that you know and that's that is that is the other thing that because NAVDA is not competitive and something that, you know, I do think that we're all pretty helpful with each other here. I think you see a lot of good camaraderie. But at the end of the day, we are battling it out for first place here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so people might be a little less apt to take you over and show you their tricks of training, right? Um, but in, in NAVDA, you don't need that. You don't need that competition is against the standard. And, and look in any of these events, we're a bunch of alpha males. We're, we're a bunch of people <laughs> out there to prove something. I'm, I, I'm not going to act like we're not. But, um, but we, can do, we can focus that energy towards beating that standard um, that has been set forth versus 
versus beating one another. So we can. It's much more fun at the end of at the end of a day at the Invitational to all go out and drink beers and celebrate than it than it is to <laughs> just have one of us. Yeah, and, and, and we won't even touch on that last subject because we all did that last night. What a wonderful <laughs> celebration it was! Because I've been to a lot of these and and the club Epignol Breton Club. Uh, at least the people who came here this week um, are are all of the same spirit, and, it, and it's really kind of cool. So um, I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. That's Jake Bartels. We're going to talk dog training and hunting strategies right after this break. Lots more to come with Jake, including a detailed explanation of how he does and how he learned how to teach steadiness. So if you're, who isn't still working on that? Anyway, Jake will have some great advice on that and a whole bunch of other insights in the training world. The guy knows of what he speaks. It's coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. We're brought to you in part by truelockchokes.com. You know, they've got a choke tube for just about anything. So even if you're looking ahead to turkey season, why? I don't know, but that's, yeah, yeah, it's your prerogative. They've got a turkey choke for you. But if you're looking at longer shots later in the season, they've got a choke for you for bird season as well. Whether it's sharpies, long-range pheasants, wintertime, they've got it. Over 2,000 choices, all with a lifetime warranty and a satisfaction guarantee. Learn more at truelockchokes.com. And once you got those chokes in, go to Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School and learn how to use that shotgun slightly better than me. They've also got some great guns on sale there, including some unique and special edition Browning models, a Satori with maple stock, and the Satoria Medallion. Yeah, what a beautiful gun. If you can't find yours, go to midvalleyclays.com. Take a look at what they have in their gun safe that might be appropriate for you. They are sub-gauge central, so if you're looking for something in a 20, 28, or a 410, there's always shotguns in stock, even if Santa can't find it, and you've got a lump of coal in your stocking instead. Put out the really long stocking and call midvalleyclays.com. Learn more at midvalleyclays.com. Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. I'm with Jake Bartels. We're talking about the Club Epignol Breton. We're at the National Conclave right now. And it looks like the first group, the first brace is going out into the field as we speak. Uh, we got the ringside seat right here, so it's kind of cool to watch. Uh, but uh, let's broaden it out a little bit, Jake, uh, and talk a, about how how we apply this stuff that we learn when we're training our dog for a, a hunt test or a field trial. How does that translate into the field? You mentioned, um, a, you know, the crutches we rely on uh, that get us through maybe a hunt that are apparent and uh, probably detrimental in a hunt test or a trial. Can you think of one right off that most of us probably use? Uh Probably talking to our dogs more than more than we need to, um, and or 
or handling in situations, you know, I see a lot of handlers that the second their dog goes on point, they want to start the whoa, whoa, woes, um, uh, you know, and and wanting to do that in this in the trial format is going to cost you, right? Yeah. So, um, so talking too much, uh, being too reliant on your your e collar, um, and not not. Um, not reinforcing things with dogs in different manners or, or having them reliant on having to be nagged by the e-collar to to perform yeah you mentioned whoa 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 which ought to be a great name for a pop band <laughs> but but it is also a very high priority among all of us uh, not only you and me but our all listeners steadiness is a real key can you offer us a few tips take me to school on how to not use that word as much and maybe use other tools or strategies that can get our dogs steady on birds. Certainly, it's it's easy for me not to use that word because I actually don't teach well, um, and this is <laughs> this is this is something that again I have to give credit where credit is due. This was a, a method developed by Clyde Vetter, who was a a longtime prairie grouse hunter, and and he he started to train the way in which he he saw. Well, originally the farm he worked on, he could run dogs he was training on wild birds all the time. Sure, and so he started to use that strategy. So. What we, what we often do is we use the bird to teach steadiness. Um, we do a reduced chase method. So after that dog's pointing really good and hard um, and you're popping the bird and they're wanting to go for it, you're gonna start to just reduce that chase and you're gonna call them back to that same spot that you've been, you've been they pointed and you're gonna toss that next bird. And so they're gonna think there's always another bird there. So even there's no reason to ever move because there's always another bird. And when they have committed, to not moving, that's when we shoot a bird for them. Um, and, and so ultimately the reward is be patient, be patient, and th there you go. Yep. You can Now you can have it. Yep. And it's super conducive to like this, this particular trial is, a, is both a wild and liberated quail trial. And we are moving mostly coveys of eight to 10 birds. Sure. Um, and at times they all go up at once and at times they popcorn off. Um, but it's a, a steadiness method, which to those dogs they're not they don't think they lost their opportunity by that first bird going out and move on and start to hunt on and then bust the rest of the covey mm -hmm. they uh they'll stand there and go oh there's got to be another one there's got to be another one you know i've seen variations on that way back in the day uh, uh old old guard trainers would dig a little hole and put a second bird in that hole okay and that <laughs> bird would after the first bird flew that was kind of the signal that would startle the bird in the hole yeah and he would would fly out now we yep. have launchers and we yeah, can do it yep. in all sorts yep. of ways but that is uh that is part and parcel with some other methods i've seen which ultimately boil down to do what i want for a while and then you get what you want which is a bird in your mouth 100 percent, and it keeps it keeps a much more intensity i i often tell people i use an analogy that uh with my kids so if i tell my kids um can you guys please take the trash out and if you don't you're grounded right i'm gonna have two kids mope i have two young girls um, i'm gonna have two kids moping out there to take the trash out yeah if i say once you girls get the trash out we'll go out for ice cream i'm gonna have two kids running out there to go take the trash out so we can get to something good so um, with that method, you have dogs that are, they know that it's not, 
they're not in fear of getting reprimanded or punished. They're, they're in excitement of what is about to happen. So it keeps a high level of intensity, which is super important. I think one of the hardest things for me, being both part of NAVDA and, and running these field trials, is I have to keep high intensity and style in my dogs. Um, and they can't look like they're just out there doing a job. Um, and, and that's one of the ways we do it is through the unpredictability of a lot of birds, a lot of things happening, and they just, they can't predict what's going to happen. And when they can't predict it, they're, you know, just like anybody walking into a room, if you don't know how you're going to be a lot more alert and a lot more intense if you can't predict what's about to happen than if you know exactly what you're walking into. You know, uh, the, that was an, a, a day-long discussion with our Danish judge yesterday. <laughs> well, uh, he speaks, he speaks Danish German and English, and for all I know, he speaks Croatian. I don't know. <laughs> but so we would talk about the difference between style and intensity and cooperation and obedience. Right. And, uh, and he knows the NAVDA system, too, so he understood the terms in that regard. But the, the whole point was what you just described. The dog needs to be on his toes and intent yeah. at all times, especially, especially when he when he marks a bird yeah but even their movement in the field needs to have an edge to it doesn't it yeah i mean he speaking with him he liked to use the term he he wants them to almost be risky in their movement there right so yeah he he's he wants a dog that is almost go it looks like it might be over i call it overrunning their nose or overrunning their headlight right bringing yeah. that much energy but then also having the instant confidence and recognition of the scent snapping into a hard point he wants to see a dog that's going from 90 to zero um I want to go back, and I'm sorry, but this is this is a hot topic for everybody, and that is this steadiness thing, and and you described it so well. But there's some interim steps there. Sure. A young dog hits hits a scent cone, snaps a point. Right. Hopefully, it's that intense, uh, edgy kind of an attitude. When you're first introducing this idea of uh, reduced chase, right? Does a dog get the first bird that flies or do you always always have a second bird so it does get mixed up when i'm dealing with the young, young dogs i'm not afraid to let them catch catch birds yeah um, i know that's yeah. a, a taboo in, a, in a, a lot of aspects but i you know and i'll, I'll coin a term my f uh, friend grayson guy or another professional trainer uses and that's he and i'm sure he's not the only one uh. but he likes to build the monster build the demon yeah um so yeah. i'm okay with my dogs catching birds I, that that bird has to be the highest value thing yeah if that's not the highest value thing then reducing the chase they're just going to say well i don't i don't I don't care enough about another bird. You don't want me to do this? I'll go find mice. I'll go do this, right? Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, I'm just building drive, building drive, building drive. I want as much of that as possible. I am even okay with them being a little possessive with birds. Sure. Because um, that means that that means that I got plenty of deposits in that emotional bank account that I, when I need to start making withdrawals, I don't over-withdraw. So then what? 
Okay. I mean, when so, you're yep. ready to make the transition, this yep. is so the, then, the devil is in the yep, details. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so then, so I'm getting dogs to come in, and and so if, if initially they're coming in and they're smelling that bird, and because I've let them catch some birds, they just want to dive in on it. Well, that bird's going to go out the second, and I'm going to use strong flying pigeons. Yes. Um, that bird's going to go out. I use launchers. It's going to go out the second they they recognize scent, or honestly, it's going to go out the second they go through the scent cone. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not afraid to pop. A bird that maybe that dog hadn't paid attention enough to see that small or smell yeah. or, or engage in that small amount of scent that's how i'm getting them to engage that small amount of scent yeah um and so that's how you'll see puppies that we start doing this that'll back off to having 30 40 yard points i mean it instantly yeah. shows you the ability of their nose um and so from there, we're going to start popping it. Um, we are. We're going to shoot. When they when they start pointing and holding it long enough for us to get near, we're going to start shooting some birds for them, right? Wow. And so at that point, they are, they are allowed to, once we're in front and it goes up, they're allowed to break it to flush, and we're shooting it. And so after I've shot probably 30, 40, 50 birds for a dog, kind of in that manner, that's when I'm going to start to reduce the chase. And, and it, it starts off as just... After after about the point in which I would shoot is when I'm going to start calling them back, right? Yeah. So I want it well engaged into the chase when I start saying, and I, I just use no and I um, and no to stop forward movement mm-hmm. and a nick on the e-collar, no and nicking on the e-collar to stop forward movement, then I call them back to me. So then I have my recall once they come back. And I don't know how or why this works, <laughs> but they will more often than not come back and stop in a very similar spot to where they pointed, if that's yeah. where I call them, and I'm instantly throwing another bird. Now, and what so, happens with that bird? So that bird is going to go out, and if that dog chases again, yeah. so this is, this is going to be a day or two. So in, in one or two days, one or two sessions, we're going from you are allowed to chase after birds after the flush to you now have to wait until the shot. Um, so this is a situation in which we often, we have four or five guys out there with probably 30 or 40 pigeons. And so I'm instantly going to again be saying no, no, as they're moving forward. And, and the second they stop, I'm calling them back. The second they're stopped, I'm praising them. I'm saying good dog and I throw another bird. And when they start letting, watching them fly without ever even going for the chase, now I'm shooting. Once I, once I shoot, they're allowed to break. And um, because of, and this is maybe less conducive to field trying. So more often than not, the field trial guys are not giving as many retrieves as I do um, in in my NAVDA training. Um, But I will leave a dog allowed to break at the shot until I'm through my duck search training because I want the shot to mean go. And again, this is something Clyde taught me. I, I went through my own handler record and, and evaluated what my weaknesses were in training, um, what were the things that were always getting me. And one of the things that was always getting me, it was, it was harder for me to get a four duck search. Um, and, you know, I, I made the excuse a little bit that, well, you know, they're Britneys. They probably don't love the water as much as a wire hair or something like that. But what it was is I was studying my dogs before I had my duck search. And so now I'm going there and anytime I need to shoot a duck or fire a shot, I've already taught them that that means stay, don't go, right? And so with allowing them to break at the shot in the field, I've created muscle memory and and a, a behavior in which that shot gives them a boost of energy going 
that that is the signal that I get to really go get what I always want. And so now I come down to the edge of the water and I take them out there and I fire a shot and they're like something just dropped. I didn't I might not have seen it, but I'm 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 motoring out there to try and figure out where it is and get it. It it just it actually instills a confidence that there's something to get out there. Absolutely. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is another thing. That's why I'm working on my shooting all the time. <laughs> but <clears throat> This is fascinating, and it, and it is definitely a different way to look at how this all works. Is it based on a fundamental psychological principle? You know, I don't – so I – and I respect and I listen to a lot of trainers that can talk about all the all the theories and all, all the different experiments that have done for behavioral reactions. Um, I, I've kind of – learn to just be an instinctual trainer and i'm sure i do a lot of those things without knowing that that's what i do i really try to just get in the moment with a dog it's why i could never do what you're doing because i can't think to tell the story or have the camera or (laughs) anything like that i'm 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 engaged solely in the moment with that dog it's why my training partners are so incredibly important because when i'm engaged in that dog i just need them to kind of know what's expected and know what's next because i'm i'm not giving them instructions at that moment yeah yeah. um and we're just try and make that connection with that dog and 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 figure out let them tell you how they need to be trained. Well, you you just said it, and I'll, I'll just I'll just distill it. You are to a great degree thinking about what the dog is thinking. A hundred percent. And that is how you formulate your training strategy. Right. So, I I've used the analogy a lot um, of. If you walked in and you grabbed a cookie out of the cookie jar and you came back and you ate it and two minutes later I came in and slapped your hand, um, you'd have a really hard time knowing what it was for. Yep. Now, if I come in and, and let you grab it and you still eat it and you're half eating it and I slap your hand, you might start to get it. When you just touch the cookie and I slap your hand, you're getting a really good idea. When you think about <laughs> touching the cookie and I slap your hand... You can train a dog in moments. So the people that are correcting thought processes, not actions, train dogs very quickly. It's, a, it's something that takes years and years and years to learn. Some people never learn it. It's, it's, you have to have that instinctualness. You have, to, you have to just work with enough dogs that you start to recognize the subtleties in, in their ear positions and eye movements. And it's not something that I can say when you see this in a dog. It just becomes an instinct to you. And, and you know, I, I've seen a few people that are just unbelievable at it, unbelievable at understanding where that dog is mentally at every moment and how quickly they can train a dog is 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 mind-blowing well they're the whisperers they are (laughs) but they're something to strive for (laughs) poker players because they're looking to their dog for the tells that's it and uh, and again part of that is you simply hang with your dog and you learn a lot of that just by observing and hang with a lot of dogs. That's the one go. beautiful yeah. thing about going to a, something like a NAVDA training day is it's not just you working with your dog. You go out there and you work with every dog that came that day. And it uh, that starts to hone your skills and your instincts. We could go on and on. We'll do this again by phone next time. Right now we're at the Club Epignol Breton National Conclave somewhere in Oklahoma. I guess the closest town is Wellston. Yep. Um, 
Beautiful place. This is Prairie Prime. It's an incredible uh, kind of membership hunting club, if you will, run by my good friend and supporter, Todd Ferris. We're lucky enough to be here together. Uh, I'm Scott Linden. It's the Upland Nation podcast. That's Jake Bartels. Thank you for having me, Scott. It was spectacular. Thank you. We'll do it again. Thank you, sir. Well, I hope you learned as much as I did from Jake. That all came to us from the Club Epignol Breton National Conclave at Prairie Prime, Todd Ferris's place out there in Oklahoma. Wellston, Oklahoma is the nearest town. Boy, what a barbecue place they had there. Thank you, everybody at CEB for hosting me. Sure had a great time out there. Well, we'll we'll get back to your New Year's resolutions in just a moment or two. But first, uh, let me remind you, we're brought to you in part by MidwayUSA.com. Just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. I mentioned that new clay target thrower I got. I love it. But there's also stocked up on winter socks, by the way. If you need it, they got it. Sign up for emails or texts and get 10% off your next order. Need some foul weather gear? They've got a lot of it. These guys earned the 2022 BizRate Platinum Circle of Excellence Award. That's based on customer feedback, so you know it's the real deal. These guys know how to take care of you. They sure take care of me. Customer satisfaction is their number one goal. Learn more at MidwayUSA.com. Stock up on that non-toxic and upland ammo right now. And sageandbreaker.com is where I go to clean my guns and take good care of them. Yeah, if you missed out on some of the uh, Christmas offers, the new products uh, coming just before Santa Claus time, well, don't get blindsided again. Sign up for their mailing list and you won't. Go to sageandbreaker.com and then get on the mailing list so next time they premiere a range bag or a scope rifle case or a gun cleaning combo on sale, or even if you're just trying to stock up on the consumables, your CLP, your firearms grease, all those things, learn more at sageandbreaker.com, sageandbreaker.com. Yeah, we're all in the spirit of things. The year is off to a great start. We still got another five weeks of hunting season around here, if you count Oregon and Nevada. And I'll be doing it, but I do have some New Year's resolutions. I've kind of shared those with you, but I was really interested in what's on your mind. And I thought our uh, Handle It segment this week would be talking about that. Demetrios Demu. Yasu. Hey. I think we're related somewhere, way down inside. He's going to relax with his 15-year-old bird dog. He's a fighter. He looks like it, all gray. Looks, um, you know, I'm going to guess it's a a vishla. Um, But you know when they get old, their whole head goes gray. Great old guy. I love to see that. Jake Notner says, if the weather and capital permits, start the lead-up to the season earlier than Labor Day. Great idea. Yeah. Joe Rundell, not sure if it's a resolution or a wish. I'd like to get an over and under for next season. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Now is the time to start saving your bottles and cans. Eric Thompson, I know you're in a new home state, so get out there and enjoy. And if you haven't been to the Montana Bar in downtown Lewistown, stop by and sit at that table towards the front to the right of the door. Look down through the glass. See if you find any rainbow trout down there. Yeah. Yeah, everybody. There's a stream down there. Get another dog, train it, and go to Iowa. That's Dave Norris's plan. Pretty simple and pretty admirable. Good on you. Rusty Strohshine. Hunt more, train more. Make it to more Navda nights. <laughs> In reality, it'll be eat more, drink more, and sleep more. All good. And B Ryan Boren, I, I think we'll end on this one. Great resolution for you. Teach my puppy everything for the UT NAVDA test. Good luck on that. It's a wonderful goal. And as we discussed a lot at this recent conclave I was at in Oklahoma, the mere act of training for it is... Um, is good for you and the dog. And as Bob Ferris said many years ago at a NAVDA test, he said, every dog that went through this test is better than almost every dog you'll ever meet in the field. So even if you don't end up getting to a test, it's worth it. Good luck to everybody. Hope some of those resolutions actually get met. The Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food. Learn more about all the formulations. Yeah, they got something for every dog there at ProPlansport.com. Every day in the field, I'm reminded of how important oxygen metabolism is. In the athletic world, and we're in that world now that I think about it, it's called VO2 Max. That's what your dog needs for increased endurance during exercise. And a whole high-protein formula with real meat as a first ingredient is one way to do it. The other point is amino acids. Time after exercise promotes recovery if they've got the right stuff in their belly. Learn more about all their formulations at ProPlansport.com. Yeah, and if you hung up the really long stocking hoping that a really long gun might be dropped in it and it didn't happen, head over to PointerShotguns.com. Andy tells me they got a new shipment of case-colored 28-gauge over-and-enders back in stock, so get them while you can. Go to the website and find a nearby dealer. Take a look at all the choices. Hey, maybe you need one for yourself and one for that new kid on the block your young hunting partner. They've got youth over and unders as well. Learn more about the entire selection at PointerShotguns.com. Well, this is where I tell you one more time, Happy New Year. I hope it's going well so far, and I wish you the best for the entire remaining 12 months and on beyond that, of course, and your dog as well. So please translate for me. If you could, please leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And then thank all of our sponsors. Tell them you listen and thank them for supporting us. They are Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina Pro Plan Sport, Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, LandTrust.com. And you know, a lot of this stuff is in greater detail 
at my headquarters website, findbirdhuntingspots.com. Until we meet in the field or at a training day, I'll see you there. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast.